Alfonso Cuaron movie with Clive Owen and Julianne Moore and who else? Uh, I'm struggling to remember. I think Michael Caine did that one. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you fell for the bait, Bob. <laughs> Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. Fired up, Lions. Fired up. Let's go, Lions. Let's, Let's go. go. <laughs> Woo! Hey, Bobo. Hey, Dave. <laughs> yes. Thanks for calling me, Dave. I appreciate that. So how you doing today? I'm feeling better now that the podcast is rolling. Oh, you and me both. Um, I don't know if you know this, but in the the whole week between podcasting, I just sit in a dark closet and think about what I'm going to say on the next podcast. So it feels really good to get out of the closet for my one hour a week and into the real world and have a cup of coffee and just podcast with my brother. Yep. And then we'll put you right back. Put me put me back in. Yeah, so you're doing good. Any any good news to report to me and the viewers out there, Bob? Wow, that is a good question. You know, nothing in particular. I think you and I had a conversation over the weekend and or I guess that was Friday and I was gonna say both. I don't remember that. I'm I must have been in some sort of dark closet locked you, away. You very much were. Uh, yeah. but you're bringing up, you know, just your concerns about rising coronavirus infections and yeah and then I talked with mom and she had similar and concerns me too so it's just a you know continues to be a very scary thing and I hope our listeners are doing okay and I'm hearing more and more about people in my overall communities having it um so yeah it's it's not good news I'm sorry to say. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I believe I asked for a good news, Bob. Let's try that again. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> edit that out, would you? Yeah, uh, it's already it's already long gone. Um, no, it's gonna stay. I yeah, like you know, I saw a stat that like something like thirty three thousand Americans were uh, tested positive yesterday, and in Italy it was a hundred and thirty people in. England, it was 60 and in Canada, it was like 40, which is like that. And I've definitely heard it compared to sort of the idea of gun violence, right? So like, it's just another US problem where the rest of the world is not dealing with it. And here we are 33,000 people. It's like a staggering number when you look at it compared to the rest of the world. And it makes me, yeah, that's like a depressing bit of news. It is. Yeah. But, you know, we continue on, continue wearing our masks and doing what we can. And mom and I landed on the point like, yeah, maybe like the big overall picture is demoralizing, but there's still like things we can do in our local communities and at the city level, you know? So I, I still, that gives me hope and that's good news. There's like, I guess this arcs back to one of our previous shows um, on defunding the police, but there's a database for police abolition and they look at all the proposals around defunding the police. And it's a a great website and there's 90 proposals across the United States. And that's, that's like absolutely unheard of. Like that this wave and wave and wave of proposals. So that's actually really good news, and a lot of them are passing. There you go, Bob. Yep. Yeah. Now you're on the right topic. There we go. Getting us, getting us with our good newsums. That's great, Bob. Thanks. Yep. And yeah, it's that's what it is, right? I mean, there there is no good news without bad news. So I appreciate that because it's all about context, right? Yeah. If we were all, if it was all just good news, then it would just be news. Yep. Um, yeah. So I had to give the context, to give you the real good news. Yeah, let's get into what we're going to be talking about today. This is a topic that is kind of a lot of loosely connected things that we're excited to share. And we've been percolating in the back of our minds over the last 
eight to 10 weeks. And they kind of just came together today for us. It's a topic about movement and the idea of movement and how it relates in our personal lives, how movement has been something that's been a very personal matter for us in the sense of traveling, in the sense of changing states, seeing the world. But it's also a question of what's happening right now in our country movement and how people are wanting that movement and wanting to be able to move into the next phase. But it's also a question of privilege and like everything we do on thriving it seems it comes back to who has the ability to move who who are the people in our world that are able to move about and have that privilege of going about freely and there is there's this idea that's just coming to me where i think if we think about a yo-yo and a yo-yo is at the end of a string and a person can can sort of move around if a person is a yo-yo they can move around on that string and they can move around um about in a certain direction but they can't go everywhere and they can't mm-hmm. do everything that they want to do and but then you imagine the world with people everybody is a yo-yo and you imagine it where we're all interacting with each other and how one person's life and one person's actions sort of interact with someone else's. And as these yo-yos sort of come in contact with each other, they need to like sort of find a way to move without hitting each other. Hmm. They need to find a way of moving in this world without tying up other people. Because while we want individual freedom for all, we know that if you have freedom to move wherever you want to go, to be wherever you want to be. It's a idea where you might, you need to think about what others have too, because that yo-yo can easily tie up with another and will cause a chain reaction where all of a sudden all these yo-yos are just clumped up and they can't move about anymore. And I kind of want that to be one of those ideas that I'm holding on to today is this idea of personal freedom versus the, the importance of interacting with the community in a responsible way. And I think that that's definitely a core tenet of anarchism, um, personal freedom, but not at the cost of others. Yeah. That reminds me of, uh, the book joyful militancy that we talked about on this show. Ah, yeah. Episode three. Yep. Episode three. Right. Yeah. And they, they redefine freedom as like not individual, not ne- like maybe individual ability is a part of that, but it's, it's like when you're in a collective, your ability, your overall capacity is increased for joy. And so that's like inter- their definition of freedom is interdependence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, well, that's like a reality. Like we're all very interdependent no matter if we know it or not. So yeah, like this idea of movement, we're we're always going to be like, like altering systems when we're, when we're moving. Yeah. 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 Well, I think we should start with some dystopias that came up. Yeah. Two really, two really important ones for me are, and they're kind of, they both deal with the idea of movement and immigration in a very strong way. And one does it really well, and one does it really bad. They are Elysium, which is a movie that came out in 2014 starring Matt Damon. And the other movie is Children of Men, which came out all the way back in 2006, which is a Alfonso Cuaron movie with Clive Owen and... Julianne Moore and who else? Uh, I'm struggling I think to remember. Michael Caine did that one. <laughs> oh, you fell for the bait, Bob. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
we'll uh we'll have to get some michael kane impersonations on this one huh (laughs) ah nice um yeah children of men is just one of the one of the best movies i've ever seen and it is it came out and it was a considered a flop in a lot of ways it was a losing it was one of the a movie that lost money and but it came out with the the critics loved it and for good reason um i don't really want to spoil too much of it mm-hmm. but it is a movie that where people have stopped being able to give birth so no one has been pregnant for over 20 years and i think it takes place in like the year 2030 or 2040 thereabouts so just in the near future and nobody's been able to get pregnant and they don't know why they don't there's like no scientific explanation but it sort of deals with all the things that happen when hope goes away. Mm-hmm. So the idea of, I mean, as we all know, babies are just like a bundle of hope and joy, you know? And what if you were to take that away from people and all the stuff that happens? And one of the big things, it takes place in the, in England. And one of the big things that's happened is England as in every dystopia, it walls off its borders to the rest of the world and becomes in, isolated and insular and it moves to the far far right um to a authoritarian state and there is this idea of nobody can get in and nobody can get out and immigration has come to a complete uh still stillness a complete standstill that's the word i'm looking Mm -hmm. for and the people on the inside they are still going about their like normal lives. Like Clive Owen is like a low level government employee and he still goes about his daily life. But there's like so much, so much like other things that like people are, there's this um, suicide pill that people take called quietus where they like kill themselves because they, with an aging elderly population and no young people to take care of them. They just want out, you know? So it's like this, this, big lack of hope and it deals a lot with religion as well and oh yeah more than anything i'm sorry i'm getting too pumped up on the the film world but there this was like the first movie that ever did the long shot the like single shot where you follow an uh the main character for like 10 15 20 minutes Mm -hmm. and it kind of changed modern movie making for um like we, we've started to see it a lot more in action movies where it's a single shot and they're like incredibly hard to do. So the movie itself is, I think it's not a ton of shots, um, but there's like one really famous scene where it's like a 20 minute action scene and it's just one shot and like blood gets splattered on the camera lens. Oh, it's incredible. But without giving too much away, there will be a spoiler here. It ends with a question and a sense of not knowing a sense of not knowing what's next and that feels particularly real to me because i don't think that there's an answer and i i think Mm -hmm. as we go through this episode this show i don't know if you and i are gonna find any solid or real answers um to anything that we're coming up with but i think it's really good to get into it and look at it and look at movement and look at privilege of movement and look at ideas um, or really anything being critical is like a very important step for anything. And I think that that's what this movie does. And in contrast with the movie Elysium, it is, you know, on it takes place in the far future of 2140 or something like that. And Jodie Foster is like the president of planet earth, but she doesn't live on planet earth. She lives on a giant like space station that orbits earth. And on this space station, they have access to like healthcare. They have the access to these machines where you can go in and it can fix any problem. And then everyone on planet earth is like living it in the slums. So there's this idea that like people are trying to get to this giant space station in the sky to get, access to free healthcare to save them, save themselves or save their loved ones. And um, they 
put it under the guise that like not everyone can have this amazing cure-all machine because they need to keep world's population in control because otherwise they're going to have food issues and food problems. Um, and it's deals with this power dynamic and keeping people away from what they need. And this movie is just junk, Bob. It's, <laughs> and even the director, I read, I was reading a quote this morning. I can't even remember his name. Um, the director said, yeah, this movie was not good. Uh, <laughs> he said he really liked the idea of a giant space station in the sky controlling planet earth. And that's about as far as he got. And it oh, brings no. up a lot of really, I know. Right. And it brings up a lot of really interesting um, like ideas. It, it brings up the idea of immigration, which is a really important thing. And not every dystopia talks about, but it just like fails. And the movie yeah. ends, I'm going to spoil this ending too, because the movie ends, Matt Damon, you know, he has like a bad spine and he like, he eventually makes it up to um, the giant space station and he gets into one of the machines and he heals himself and he like is fixed. And then he like kills everybody. And then he like makes it so everyone on planet earth can have um, like free healthcare basically. And it's like, ah, oh, it's just so bad because it's like, okay, so then what? Like, why are why does this solve all the issues mm -hmm. this is just basically yet again a white man going up killing everybody and like giving out all this this freedom he's like doling out freedom to the rest of the world and it just feels like the same story we've heard and it's like that doesn't answer any of the questions i mean it brings up some of the questions of immigration and healthcare that have been talked about over the last decade strongly um, but it doesn't like, and it's like answering the question in a way that is so unrealistic and implausible that it just becomes like a, a stupid action movie. So, um, wow. I really got into it, Bob. <laughs> Keep going, Dave. Uh, Love it. Yeah. 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 Does there anything else that I, uh, I mean, I know you haven't seen Elysium, but is there anything that I brought up that is speaking to you? Well, it. Well, it makes me never want to watch that movie, so that's good. I won't waste my time yeah. with that one. Good. Um, and, but I, I did also love Children of Men when we watched it many years ago, and mm. it brought up kind of a, a story around movement for me. If I'm, if you give me the, the allotment to to launch into this story. Yeah, that sounds cool. I'm I'm interested to hear it. And maybe that can tie some things back to Children of Men. So, yeah, I wanted to tell this story just as kind of a, a little bit of background on you and me. And it, it, it deals with some of the themes of this show. And it, it deals with movement. And it is a story of um, when we started more or less to become community organizers in Boulder and or activists or something like that. And it had a lot to do. So this was like back in 2007. It has a lot to do with movement because our good friend Nick Cantrick moved back from California to Colorado. And Nick had been uh, I think an elementary school teacher for a year in Southern California. And I think he was quite excellent at it. So it was a bit of a surprise to me that he was coming back, but I was very excited. I remember in my life floundering around a little bit after college. And I think I was working as a bartender, not, I didn't really have direction. And when Nick came back, and I think, Dave, you were living probably at, you know, in downtown Boulder with some college friends. Nick brought this great energy. And I think he was a spark. People know Nick Cantrick. He's quite a spark. And maybe it had to do with the teaching he had been doing. But he brought back a lot of, you know, documentaries and just conversation starters on the state of the world. And 
we just really got into critical discussions and we were reading people like Noam Chomsky and following the news and yeah, just having these great conversations that eventually led us to reaching out to other people in Boulder and, you know, uh, becoming active in the Socialist Bookstore and the Rocky Mountain Peace and Justice Center. And we even um, took a, we called our group uh, CSP, which embarrassingly stands for Citizens for Social Progress. We oh, named man. it like very early on and I think we totally outgrew the name, but the name always stuck. And we took a, a road trip, so that connects to a lot of movement as well, where we did camping and we're like living off the grid. We wanted to go see those earth ships in northern New Mexico. And eventually, you know, it affected us like talking about critical conversations around climate change and capitalism and racism and uh, patriarchy just seeded some ideas that all three of us moved away from Colorado. We, we followed our path to these different places. And so, and I, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Like that really set me up to study at UC Santa Cruz and it like, it introduced me to anarchism, which really um, was, has been really important in my life. So um, movement has given me you know, it's, it's like deeply a part of who I am and what I do. So there's like that element of movement. And then the other element that you talked about, like the privilege part of it, I'm very interested in talking about as well. But um, I'll just pause there and toss it back to you, Dave, if you want to add anything to that story. Yeah, it definitely seems like a bit of an origin story. And it's something that our podcast is thriving and striving to do is to talk a little bit about where we come from and who we are. Uh, most everybody that listens to this show knows either you or I or both of us pretty intimately. And as we're, as the podcast is starting to grow, I know that that's won't always be the case, but I think it's interesting to share stories because that story feels like uh, probably one of the most formative moments of our lives. And it also came at a time where our dad started to get really sick as well, which is another piece of the whole thing. Um, yep. But it was the start of our dad's decline. And I feel like the idea of story is the idea of, of learning and the idea of sharing and the idea of connection. And I like that story a lot, Bob. And I like to see where those stories lead because for you, it led to finding finding that hope again in resistance and finding your way to UCSC, which is where you still are. I mean, yep. you're in Seaside now. But yeah, it's definitely led you on a, a decade-long path or a, over a decade now. And for me, it definitely led me out to California where I ended up meeting my wife, which is pretty incredible. And I, I went out there in search of becoming a farmer and in search of finding sort of a back to land movement, um, learning how to be at peace with the earth and learning how to interact with the earth because uh, we spelt, spent most of our childhood disconnected from the natural world mm -hmm. and I wanted to re reconnect. And I know for Nick too, it was this moment where after after the, after he was done um, in Boulder, he ended up going out to Vermont following his dream of learning to be a builder, which is so incredible because Nick's still in Vermont and he has opened up at some point he wants to, I want him to be on the show to talk about building and sort of building design in a, in a whole different way, because I feel like um, alternative building is just such an interesting idea and, um, something that not everybody is super familiar with, but it's all these paths sort of go back to this origin story. And I kind of feel like that's one of the things that I want to do on the show is find these points of origin and share them out. And I like that you brought that up, Bob. So I appreciate that story. Yeah. I, while you're talking, I was thinking about, you know, Nick, Nick left Colorado and then came back with all these ideas and energy. Um, and that was like so important 
for our group to form. And mm-hmm. movement is just so, you know, like we have to have it, right? Or like, and I don't want to be ableist because, you know, for example, our dad couldn't move his body, right? Um, right. And that was really hard for him. Uh, but even like some kind of movement, even if it's not a physical body, it's like movement of ideas or movement of emotions um, or social movements, you know, is so crucial um, to, I think, human existence. And like the image of the butterfly is often connected with immigration. And I love that image. So when, when we think about privilege and movement, what we need to do is like change the system so everyone can move freely. And that that's mm-hmm. the problem, not stopping our movement or, or you know, caging ourselves in and like just because we feel guilty, but rather move, learn from our movement and then, you know, rage, rage like hell against the system that um, cages people that literally cages people in prisons and in, you know, immigration detention centers, or also cages us in terms of surveillance and these other forms of policing. So I think that's what I do with my privilege. And it's always imperfect. I'm sure like I mess things up. Um, But I think this idea that we can't separate ourselves from our privileges, but we can leverage them towards justice. That's a quote from a book that I'm reading called uh, Beyond Survival. And I think, you know, starting that group was the first steps towards leveraging towards justice, leveraging our privilege towards justice. Because we, I definitely know I wasn't doing much before that group, you know, and not that I've done much after, but I think what I've done after has been a lot more focused on social justice. Yeah. And that idea of that critique, the idea that it's almost innately human, this idea of movement. And I'm reminded of this idea of the hero's story or the hero's journey in storytelling. And the idea is pretty simple. And it's the basic, the basis of a ton of stories. The idea is that there, somebody is born. Some like the story starts out with somebody in a certain place, right? And then a problem arises. And then the hero goes, leaves, leaves the place of origin and learns. And then they come back to the place of origin changed. Mm-hmm. And either once they've come back changed, they're able to change the world around them or they're able to see that the world around them, um, like they're able to help out with the problem or they need to um, change the world around them to help meet the new vision that they've come back with. And I know I'm not doing the best job of explaining it because I'm just a novice storyteller, but I do think that that is kind of the idea. The hero's journey is the idea of becoming, going from a child into an adult. And one of the stories that I really love that deals with the hero's journey is um, by Robert Bly. It's or not by Robert Bly, but he tell he does an analysis of, Oh, what's the name of it, Bob? Iron John. Yeah. And it is a, it's a classic old story about, a young prince and his, the hero's journey that he goes on. And I, I know that there's some problematic elements of Iron John, especially because it's a story that's centuries old, but it is an idea. It like breaks down the hero's journey in a really um, interesting way. And it definitely helped me form my ideas of where I want to go and how I want to become who I am now. And I think that what you're, what we're kind of talking about is that idea of that hero's journey that we've gone on. And what really strikes me is that idea that like, not everybody has that privilege to do that. Not everybody has that ability Mm -hmm. to do that. Yep. And it's, it's being stopped much in the way that in both the two movies, Elysium and children of men are stopping people from that idea and they're doing it not because they're trying to save the world they're doing it because they're trying to save themselves and that's kind of what we need to look at right now in the world are we doing it to save ourselves or are we doing it to save the world because i guess 
one of the biggest things that we wanted to, to talk about today is what's happening with ICE right now and what's happening with children in detention facilities in the, in the United States and how horrific that imagery has been and how it's not coming up in the news stories nearly as much as I, I think it, or we think it should be coming up. No, definitely because not. Because it's, it's being hidden. Yeah, it is. It's, it, it's, it's like gut-wrenching and just like awful at, at the like highest level of awful. Yeah. Before we get into that, I want to like go back to the hero's journey and yeah. Sure. It, yeah. It's so interesting because the hero's journey is like something that is, I like it, but it is definitely imbued with ableism or like ability privilege. And I would say like masculinity, male privilege, definitely. you know, especially yeah. with Iron John. Um, so, but maybe it could be like re-envisioned because there is something there that I really like that you mentioned that it's like you, the, the person sees the world that they had taken for granted in this new angle and that for that and then that changes a lot for them and they it, it leads to action it leads to like the person wanting to live differently um and i think that's extremely valuable so like and i so i, I don't think that has to come from moving somewhere and then coming back i think there's so many other ways that that can happen i think that can definitely happen through discussion you know or even watching children of men that that definitely made me see i never you know i never even thought of immigration detention centers before that movie i hadn't even thought of it as a thing and but they showed it right. in that movie and i'm like oh wow yeah this probably exists in the world and the movie was saying like it's gonna exist much more remember there was commentaries by like naomi klein and slavoj zizek afterwards and they yeah, were saying, like, this is a great movie because this is where the world is heading. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, what? This That felt almost unbelievable to me. And it's definitely every year that goes by there, it's just another example of how we're living in that totalitarian state of secret prisons and immigration centers. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, yeah. Um, Can I say one more thing about yeah. Iron John too? Oh, yeah. I definitely think that the hero's journey should not be confused with Robert Bly's interpretation of Iron John because I do think that there is inherent um, ideas of masculinity and that retelling, but I don't think the hero's journey is inherently bad. Mm -hmm. or I think inherently that, patriarchal. Or yeah, inherently patriarchal, inherently um, privileged. And the hero's journey is a is a story that comes up in. I I hesitate to say all all cultures, but it's a it's a common common storytelling idea that comes up because it is so innately human. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are interpretations like Robert Bly that are inherently based on the masculine in a way that is patriarchal, and it's just like okay, Robert Bly enough of that um <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i guess i think yet again don't even bother reading it <laughs> but i don't think that the hero's journey is necessarily patriarchal i think it's an important um idea but not necessarily one that is always used correctly right yeah that i mean it, maybe it's like a tool that can be used in like many different ways to promote many different like agendas. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, Bob, what did, I guess I'm curious to hear some of your opinions or so, some of what you've been coming up with, with the ice detention facilities, you um, know, like sort of sharing that out with me in the, the world. Yeah. Um, this is something that these, Detention centers, like, first of all, like, we need to actually root this back in it, at least in as far as Obama, that Obama was the known as the deporter in chief. So mm. it was Obama and his administration that designed a lot of the framework, the laws and the like the structures for 
the deportations that are happening in this in the United States. So Obama was no friend to immigrants and that it's both corporatist Democrats and Republicans who are promoting this type of nationalism. But of course, Trump has like refashioned it and accelerated elements of it. Um, and, you know, yesterday or last Friday, the Supreme Court ruled that Trump can deport without like the fast track deportations um, without people getting a chance to even before be seen before a judge. And of course, that was even extremely problematic, like children, you know, of like two or three years old were going before judges somehow. Jesus. Yeah. Ugh. So, yeah, that was a awful system as well. And it just got a little bit more awful um, thanks to the Supreme Court. And so... What do I want? Uh, the, another thing that I want to say is that there was some, you know, the media and leftists were angered by this. Um, but my friend Blaze and I, you know, remarked like where like liberals got out and like were all super excited and took to the streets when Trump was being impeached. But where were they? Where were we when um, kids were being sent to detention centers, you know, concentration camps? There weren't, there weren't, there was like some marching, but nothing that was huge and um, definitely nothing to take away from Black Lives Matters. Like the, like these recent demonstrations, I'm so glad that they're huge, but there also should have been huge ones for kids being separated from their families and being put in detention centers. So it shows just a little bit of our society, like there's like this acceptance of this reality and you and i read a book called oh it's a crime think book i'm thinking forget no no board no walls no borders so it's actually called no wall they can build oh yeah that's right that's right no wall they can no. Build. that's right and it it was it was a little bit like um children of men it was like a really powerful book that traced the the history of you know why migration is happening in the western hemisphere and so much of it has to do with U.S. foreign policy and capitalism, um, and then it traced some of the like the the movement stories of people coming from Latin America towards the U.S.-Mexico border, and what that border looks like, like how violent that border is. And, and so, yeah, my last point is I just wanted to tie prison abolition. That like if people are serious about prison abolition and defunding, then this needs to be also a really serious part of the work. And it is for a lot of abolitionists. They are like active, like trying to close down these detention centers. But this is like, has its origins as well in the prison industrial complex or the carceral state that developed in the 70s and 80s. Those prisons, um, you know, state prisons were the models for the detention centers. And so both of them need to be fought. Um, and so there's an intersection of, of struggles there. Yeah, I think that that idea of intersection of struggles speaks to me. I've been noticing a lot of the BLM protests have um, been talking about ICE and shutting down the detention facilities, the immigration facilities, and this idea how I love this idea of how our freedoms are, we're only as free as the least of us or the the least free of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that this idea is really powerful and it's something that we need to hold because it's, if we are really truly free, then we are all really truly free. It goes back to that yo-yo idea that I was talking about at the start. And I love the syner synergizing and of these movements coming together because it feels really real to me and it feels really well, what needs to be happening. You know, and I, I know like all lives matter is like filled with so much hatred, but there is an idea behind that, that of a rebranding idea that we can make all lives truly matter. And that means black lives matter. That means LGBTQ lives matter. That means 
immigrants' lives matter. And it means that they matter no matter what, you know? And we need to be fighting alongside each other to to try and find find a freedom that is a freedom for all because that is the essence of privilege. If we are free like you and I to move about, to go on our own hero's journey, to go to a private education, to go move to from state to state in search of finding a calling that feels good to us. That is at its core. It's a, it's a statement of privilege and it's a statement of what I have that not everybody has. And like you said, and I think it's worth repeating that we, and you could probably repeat it better than I, but we need to be using that privilege to be taking down the structural, the structural races, the structural racism and the institutions that are preventing other people from having the same amount of freedom that we have. That's right. Yeah. That quote is from a Harris Dixon in um, beyond survival. And they say, well, I don't believe that we can separate ourselves from our privileges. We can leverage them towards justice. My educational privilege and relationships mean that I know a lot of lawyers and I know about our rights um, during police encounters. I've made sure to share know your rights information with my neighbors, to observe the cops alongside my neighbors, and to give legal referrals. Through these movements, sorry, through these moments, I've strengthened relationships with my neighbors and deepened trust. So yeah, you know, a lot of us, uh, everyone has, you know, knowledge and um, something, gifts to share. And it's about, it's about thinking about how to align those gifts with, with social justice. Um, And so everyone's positioned differently. So that means something different to all of us. Well, I'm reminded of the ending of children of men. I feel like, I want some answers. I want something that I can do. Like after our conversation here, I'm wanting for myself of like, because that, that imagery of those, you know, babies and kids and teenagers that are trapped away from their families and have been trapped away from their families for years and the, the horrors that they, that have gone on and the amounts of COVID that are spiking and the amounts of violence and death and rape everything that's been happening in these facilities my heart wants to be there like doing something um and using leveraging my privilege like you said and i like i watched the movie do the right thing with julie this week and it ended with us wanting more wanting to be able to do something and finding some of those answers and i think it's a slow process I want, like, I, I often, like right now I'm wanting to like ask you, I'm wanting to be like, Bob, what can I do? <laughs> you know, that's like one of my go-tos is like, ah, Bob might know, Bob might know what I I should be doing. But I, I do know for myself that it's like a slow process and I can't just uproot everything in my own life right now to go and like, to like train to become a lawyer, an immigration lawyer and go to the border and start fighting for justice there. Um, I know that that's like where like a piece of me wants to be doing that, but I know that that's so unrealistic, you know? I think, um, yeah, something that all of us could do is hinted at in that quote that I just read that, and it's also the joyful militancy. It's, um, about, um, building relationships that like, relationships of trust lead to responsibility like ability to respond and yeah pushing ourselves to to keep building relationships and reaching out and particularly you know ones in which like you can build communities that don't rely on like the police basically because Again, immigration centers are a, a form of policing. And so in order to build community safety and community togetherness, it, it takes relationships. Um, and that then that becomes very hard during COVID. But um, I, I, wherever people are, there's, there's surely 
some ways to connect either through video conferencing or uh, yeah, notes or I don't know. Yeah, I think we also have to be creative. And I know our listeners out there are very creative and have great imagination. So that's a part of it too. Yeah, I've definitely felt a lot of connection with everybody that's been listening to this show. And it's been one of the biggest happinesses. Like when I asked you for some good news, I think <laughs> I typically find a lot of good news in the conversations that have been happening because of this show, but also um, the conversations that are happening even without this show, like that I'm seeing that are happening online, that are happening in my communities that ha weren't happening six months ago, that weren't happening a year ago. And that is, that is the spark and that is the joy. And that is what we need to keep fighting for um, because it's like that time of year, right? It's like that a big moment of movement right now. It's 2020 and like today or tomorrow is voting day in Colorado. Mm -hmm. it, and while that is not like a moment to change everything, it's a moment to get out there and get your voice heard and then keep doing more of this, keep doing more of pressuring communities to... Uh, make decisions that are more inclusive and more more open and more promote a world that is a world that we want to be living in. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to hear from people about what they are doing or what they think. And yeah, love hearing the feedback from our, our listeners. Um, I think it's about that time, Dave, where we uh, go into tuned in and talk about what we've been listening to or reading or um, connected to. Yeah. Do you want to start us off, Bob? Sure. Yeah. Um, two things. The first is I take these runs that have been really helpful. So yeah, moving my body in that way has been helpful. And just randomly a song came on. It's a song by REM called Night Swimming. And I kind of remember it from the nineties and it's come on twice when I've run and I love it. It's just been such a great song to run to. And nice. so I'd recommend it. And it reminds me of my my friend Ryan Sitzman. And I have this question, like, REM was huge in the 90s, but I, I rarely hear about them, even in like throwback nostalgia for the 90s. And I'm curious about why I don't hear more about REM. Hmm. Yeah. And right. the second one is a, a article that I've been reading with my reading group in Seaside, it's called it's called a a black studies manifesto by Sylvia Winter who's a amazing philosopher and um academic and so she wrote this right after the LA riots in 92 and it's extremely relevant for our current era as well and the argument is that in these moments of uprisings particularly black uprisings of like folks who are unemployed, that is a, a chance for like radical change to happen, even in like the categories of what is revolution, because a lot of the ways that revolution is thought about is in Marxist terms, like the proletariat has to rise up, but like um, people without work are not the proletariat. So um, it's just a really fascinating essay that I'll, I'll link to in the show notes. How about you, Dave? What, what are you tuned into? Um, well, I've been reading How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi, and that's been really good. And this week when the New York Times came out, I looked at the top 10 nonfiction books, and it, it kind of blew my mind. It was like, you know, Michelle Alexander, The New Jim Crow. It was two Ibram Kendi books. It was, oh, I'm going to miss a few, but like all, why all the black children in the cafeteria are sitting next to each other. Uh, what else? That book, that Catholic book, mom, mom read. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, just mercy. Brian just Stevenson. mercy. Yeah. 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 It's uh me and white supremacy by Layla sad. Is that how you say your name? Layla sad. Um, I usually say sod. Sod Layla F sod. Uh, Between the World and Me was on there. So nine out of the top 10 books were all dealing with 
this idea of racism and sort of putting a lens to it and people getting educated. And that made me feel super inspired. There was one book that was um, an outlier and it was a book by some Fox News correspondent uh, about like 1945 and the U.S. involvement leading up to Hiroshima. Mm. And I felt like, man, does that just feel like how out of fucking touch can you be where you're just like, oh, yeah, let's talk about 1945 and Hiroshima. It's just like, are you are you like just like totally out of it? Like that feels so wild to me. Um that and yeah, whatever. Like it just feels like that's where the left is and that's where the right is. And it feels like, you know, as Radio Rahim would say, love's winning, right? It looks like love was down, but love's coming back. And we got a lot of people that are out there reading great books. And that's pretty inspiring to me. Yeah, one other thing too is um yeah, I have been loving alone. So it's been good. And I'm still recommending that. That's where I've been getting my um my fix on my Netflix has been all about alone. Get your yayas out, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's a good show. Keep watching it. Well, I think that does it for the day, Dave. Thanks for yeah, all the energy and you know, we'll put you back in the closet for a week and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Uh that sounds great, Bob. Oh, I better give some uh, coordinates, right? Oh, yeah. Please get do. After, get, get after us at DavePeachTree at gmail.com. You can get after Bob at bmaze19 on Twitter and follow us on the Instagram, thriving underscore in underscore dystopia. Uh, Bob, do you mind giving us a little bit more Michael Kane to go out on? Well, me and Bob over here, we'll, we'll say goodbye to you all. It's been a real <laughs> nice time here on the show. Ah, <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, uh, you better get after Master Wayne there, Michael Kane. Already on it. <laughs> uh, all right. Love you, Bob. Love you, Dave. Hey, y'all. Bob and I want to just take a second to thank you all for lending us your ears for the show. It really does mean a lot to us from the bottom of our heart. We also want to thank the artists for making our show a little bit more beautiful. The intro song is a song called In Heaven by Drake Stafford. The outro song that you're listening to right now is a song called Comfort You by Kulla. And the thumbnail is done by the prolific and enigmatic Joe Shine. Thank you all. And we'll see you next week. Hope you have a good one. Comfort to you. Comfort to you. We ain't got nothing to do with where you are. The other song in today's episode was the track Native by the artist Home. Comfort to you. Comfort to you has got something to do with who you are And high of love, and high of pain, and high of sorrow Until you know that who you are ain't too far